Infusion services are important for many patients, especially those who receive infusions regularly and routinely. So having access to this type of care locally can have a significant impact not only on a patient's health, but their quality of life. So how do rural hospitals build a sustainable infusion service line to create access for their patients and community? With a stellar care team, the right partner, and an unrelenting determination. I'm Rachel Lott. And I'm J.J. Hodshire. And this is Rural Health Rising. Welcome to episode 113 of Rural Health Rising. I'm J.J. Hodshire, President and Chief Executive Officer of Hillsdale Hospital. And I'm Rachel Lott, Chief Communications Officer. Rachel, our guest today is someone who, at least around here, does not need any type of introduction. Oh, no. A legend, uh, not just in his own mind, but also in the minds <laughs> of many other people. Yes. And, and a return uh, guest. And a return guest. Uh, it's been a few months uh, since he's been with <laughs> us. But uh, it is someone who is dedicated to infusion care as well as to the overall improvement of patient care. And Randy has been involved in that process now since I've been here for well over a decade, uh, providing services at Hillsdale Hospital. And then most recently in his leadership position, Mm -hmm. uh, working to bring new service lines with me to this hospital. And what I usually do is I find the folks and then I turn them over to Randy and say, all right, Randy, now implement this. Any new service line, it's like, throw it to Randy. Throw it to Randy. He'll get it done. And he did. And he has. And one of those areas is has been a very successful program uh, for Hillsdale Hospital in our community, and I think very important for rural health in general, and that is infusion care, and it's much needed. So I'm excited today uh, to interview Randy. So our guest today is Randy Holland, Infection Control Officer and Director of Ancillary Services right here at Hillsdale Hospital. Welcome to Rural Health Rising, Randy, or should I say welcome back? Nice to be back. I'm a little offended that JJ thinks that I'm just a legend here. You know, I have no, I said you outreaching yes, areas, you not just here. Oh, I know so that. I am a legend yeah. everywhere. Yes. Oh, I uh, thought you states. were going to say you were offended. He thinks you're just a legend and not an icon. No, well, well he's both. And, <laughs> and But your outreach is far greater than Hillsdale. Uh-huh. I think there's Branch County and other counties around <laughs> us. But but certainly, uh, yes, <sighs> once to know Randy is yeah, to Just love on the other side Randy. of the state line, yes. just on the other side of the county line. Yes. There's yes. a broad reach. Yes. Texas. Yes. Oh, that's there is true. Texas. Roots right. in Texas. And that's what matters most, right? That's right. We know that. Randy God and I bless know Texas. That. That's, so. that's right. Greatest country in the world. Anyway. Yes. <laughs> so to start, Randy, why don't you remind our listeners, or maybe those who have um, not even heard your last episode with us, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and your work here at Hillsdale Hospital. You have such a good story, by the way. So the whole story or yeah, just the hospital no. story? Well, no, only well, the hospital story. Not from like <laughs> the day you were born. when you were three and but all of that. When, because your wife started studying first. She did. For nursing, right? Yeah. Yes, and then we you both, followed in her footsteps. We both worked at a factory. Um, after we got married, she was let go from the factory, always wanted to be in nursing. And the hospital at that time offered a program called the TAP program. So it was the technically advanced personnel so we became CENAs, um, we were EMT certified, a lot more into advancement of knowing how to do the job and help the nurses as basically mm-hmm. a nurse's aide. So she started that and I started helping her study and was like, this is pretty cool. I mm-hmm. think I might like that. Yeah. Never did before that. So I applied for the TAP program as she was finishing the TAP program and was accepted. And that's when I began my career here. That mm-hmm. was 2000, end of 2001. 
So take us through the journey of what you have done here, because there was a period of time where you left the hospital, went traveling, did some other work. But talk to us about how your journey then from the day that you graduated TAP uh, actually advanced to where you are today. So I, the hospital, since I've been here, has always had this motto of grow your own. So that was the track that I was on. I began as a TAP, which is basically a scene on nurse's aid. Worked all the different floors, found my niche in CCU. So mm-hmm. I became the monitor tech and did that for the years I was going to school and began nursing school. The hospital paid for me to go through nursing school. Mm-hmm. When I graduated nursing school, I did a short time on the floor in CCU and stepped down basically as a nurse and then took over infection control when our previous infection control nurse left and supervision. And then about three years into that. Wait, so how many years into your nursing career were you when you're, or or I guess how many years after you finished your RN was it until you went into infection control and then supervision? That doesn't sound like very long. Six months. Good grief. Yeah. This guy's an overachiever. Yeah, short period. And then certified uh, in infection control is difficult. Uh, The test. It's insane. Yeah, it is. (laughs) I talked with some folks uh, from another health system and uh, a mutual friend of ours, Randy, and he actually said it was and has been described as more difficult than taking the bar exam. Wow. Uh, It is very difficult. Rarely does anyone ever pass. Well, it sure makes my head hurt when he starts talking about all these infectious diseases and all these things. It's definitely the hardest test I've ever had to pass. Wow. And it did not pass. It's the only test I've ever taken that I did not pass the very first time. I talked to an epidemiologist out of uh, Sparrow. uh, Same thing. Uh, First, smart as a whip. Uh, Guy's incredibly smart. But unfortunately, uh, he indicated to me that it is and was the hardest that he has ever studied for and failed. Right. So what you're uh, saying is Randy is never allowed to leave. He's never allowed to, to leave. No. Well, he kicked me out <laughs> once. But. Yeah, there was that. But that yeah, but not we got long. through that, yeah. the attorneys yeah. and stuff. Yeah. So, so anyway, I've, sorry, I you interrupted know, you. You I've moved into infection control supervision. And then someone, I won't mention names, but they are at this table and it wasn't <laughs> you, Rachel, um, Who directed me strongly in the ER Avenue, which mm-hmm. I was not interested at the time, but I was ER manager for a couple of years and infection control. Mm-hmm. And that, um, after that, I left and did travel nursing. Mm-hmm. Just wanted to see what things were like at different hospitals. I'd mm-hmm. only been here and it had been like 10 years that I'd been here at that point. Yeah. How many different, um, how long did you do that and how far away did you go? Where are some for of the places you two went? Two years, but mm-hmm. I only stayed in Michigan because oh, okay. I'm cheap. So the way that they have it, you can get your stipend money, so your rent and all of that, mm-hmm. as long as you're 50 miles from home. Oh, okay. So I, the furthest I drove was two hours one way, but okay. I would never stay there. I always yeah. went back and forth. Right. Because um, at that time, gas was a little cheaper. and mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and then the travel you know, assignment was more of just a, a, a reprieve for you Uh you experienced a lot. You had a lot of opportunities, but you just did nursing. You didn't take leadership role nope. during that period. Just, just, just wanted to just ER nurse. Mm-hmm. Just and, ER. Just ER. Just ER. Just ER. Yeah, all over. But then Randy came back and uh, filled the role uh, that I was um, hoping he would and uh, coming back into infection control. 
and then uh, have the idea to place Randy over several other departments, including our ancillary departments. Mm -hmm. And that that is a lot of work. Uh, Mm -hmm. Those positions are responsible for ensuring that some of the highest volume that we have at this hospital, that our patients are satisfied. Uh, that the throughput, you know, is is done in such a mm-hmm. manner that patients feel like you've expedited their services and to ensure that we're expanding those services. And so that means technology purchases, mm-hmm. all of that. So, Rachel, it's been quite a journey for yes, Randy, it has. I would say. That's but, why he is a legend and an icon. Absolutely. And legendary and iconic. He is. And so, Randy, you know, we now we've established, you know, some of that work that you've done. Uh, we, we have a little better understanding of who you are and your background, and it's remarkable. Um, I want to ask you another uh, question. It's called The Why. And we do this on every podcast so we get to know our guests just a little bit better. And so for our listeners today who may not know you, you know, you do have fans in Texas, but let's say someone from Alabama is listening to this. I have relatives there. Okay. Too. Someone from Kentucky is listening to this. Washington the State. <laughs> A cousin. All right. We're not going to win. All North right. North Carolina. All yes. right. All right. So someone from New Hampshire Alaska. is listening to this and uh, they want to know what motivates you. So I, I want to ask that question. What is your why? What motivates you? We'll get you out of bed in the morning to do the work that you do. And you get up pretty early. You're in here by usually what? 530? Six. My baby goats. Your baby goats do. Well, that's yeah. important. They need food. Yes. But beyond is that, that why you're always emailing so early? <laughs> he does get in around six. I'm waking up in the morning and like checking my email on my phone and replying to emails from Randy because he's already oh, yeah. in the office. Randy, <laughs> Randy sends when no one else, including the son, is around. Uh, Randy is up and he is sending emails at five in the morning. Now, yeah, I don't I usually s- see five in the morning from that side. Yeah. He likes. I'm an insomniac, not an early riser. Yeah. <laughs> now JJ will send them at eleven, 11 o'clock, o'clock at night. night. Yeah. So it is. It is I about two different perspective, yeah. right? So, Randy, what is your why? What motivates you? What will get you up out of bed in the morning to do the work that you do for our patients and their families? So, I like that we have uh, services available in our community. Um, I know and have family members. A lot of family members in the community and surrounding areas. So for me, it is being able to contribute to the availability of Mm -hmm. quality care. Mm -hmm. So it's not Mm -hmm. just care, but that the care that we give is the best that we possibly can. Yeah. And that our patients feel it and that their family members feel that we really care about them and Mm -hmm. what their outcome is. And it's not just the patients of the family, it's the people that I work with. So, you know, being able to come in. (laughs) It's all about Rachel. (laughs) And have interactions with the same people every day. And it's like your family away from family, Mm -hmm. being a small facility like we are. So that contributes to it as well. You know, and Randy, obviously living in the community where you work has its benefits, its blessings, and also its curses. Because there's many times you're texting me because you were at the store and someone said this happened or that happened and you're checking into it. And and that's, I think that's part of uh, the blessing and, and the curse. Um, but looking at it, I think everything that you're doing is driven to the fact that your daughters use this hospital. And, you know, your grandchildren can use this hospital. And it's not just looking at it as a number or, you know, someone who we're not connected with. You're connected to a lot of people. 
And I think that speaks volumes to your character because you get invested in the lives of our patients. Right. Uh, many times you've texted me about a situation, well, so-and-so can't pay. You know, can we consider doing something different or what do we need to do about that? And I think that just lends to to what you are doing that's a little bit different maybe than what others bring to the table. I mm-hmm. think just your connection to this community for as long as it's been uh, in this community has been a benefit to our hospital as You're well. You're saying I'm old? Well, I'm trying to politely say it as kind, <laughs> as, kind as I, I can. I don't know. You know, that's why I love radio and podcasts. They can't tell your age. They cannot. Right. Or Facebook. Right. I don't mind right. not being on that but anymore. But you're so old, you're friends in heaven just think you didn't make it. So, well. you know, I mean, there is that. But still, anyway, Rachel, back to you. And I am 21. I'm super young. She is. Just she is. Kidding. If you could just see her right now. Yes, absolutely. Um. So with that lie out of the way, um, <laughs> Randy, I'm sure most people listening have some understanding of what infusion services are. But can you give us an overview of how really how broad infusion services are? Because a lot of times people think infusion and they immediately think chemo. That's what people are most familiar with or hear about the most. But that's only a fraction of what all can be done through infusion services. And also, in a lot of locations, infusion is being provided and chemo is not. So can you tell us a little bit about that? So we are one of those locations. That Mm -hmm. is probably the only drug we do not and will not have the availability at this time to give Mm -hmm. is chemo. Mm -hmm. So we don't do chemo in any way. um, The areas that we see the most are hydration. So people come in Mm -hmm. and get fluids, whether Mm -hmm. it be pregnant ladies that have, you know, hyperemesis, they're puking all the Mm -hmm. time. So they need fluids every day or somebody that is having chemo somewhere else comes and gets fluids because they need that after the chemo. Mm-hmm. In between um, their chemo infusions. Yep. We do a lot of what we call, what they're called is biologics, but it's like mm-hmm. for osteoporosis, rheumatoid arthritis, um, their mm-hmm. monthly injections. Mm-hmm. So those people come and get them done. We have people that come for phlebotomy. So their body creates too many red blood cells. So our nurse has to drain blood off of them. So oh, it's basically like know about that one. leaching the patient. Oh, yeah, um, the so we Sounds have more humane than that. a right. couple of those. I mean, I wanted to try that, but nobody else I just, wanted no, to. I can't, so. I can't allow that. Yeah. Um, so we have a couple of those that come every month. Um, people have access um, for IVs, so like ports mm-hmm. or pick lines mm-hmm. where they get other medications, fluids. Mm-hmm. She does dressing changes flushes those because those mm-hmm. have to be done every month. And it should I should know that this is all being done by one person. One person. Yes. You, know, you have Tammy. a lot of, yeah, I mean, you have a lot of communities where this is a team approach. Mm-hmm. There's four or five staff members. and But I mean, you have one. really a, one warrior uh, who's doing that. Yep. And, and I think that's pretty incredible. And then you're serving as her backup uh, when she's not available. And uh, you're picking up the slack maybe in helping with uh, these type of infusions, but you're also fielding a lot of questions. Let's talk a little bit about that. Um, A lot of concern right now across the country about access for pediatrics to have access to infusion care. Um, Are you seeing much of that here in our community? We don't have a lot of it. And because of our physical location of our infusion room Mm -hmm. it just depends on the age so like if they're under a year old it's very difficult 
she could do the service there, mm-hmm. but it's very difficult because there's not the room for the mother and the baby. It's you not know, designed for that yeah. to give yeah. the because the chairs are very close together where we're at right now. Right. So those we do the service, we right. just don't do it in the infusion service okay. area. So we still provide the service. Mm-hmm. So like we do offer blood transfusions, but we don't do it in that room. We either do it on MedSurge or an ER, whoever mm-hmm. has the available room and staffing that day. So the services the are available. Yeah, sure. It's just not in okay. that Okay, well, that's good service because services area. are available mm-hmm. and right. a lot of communities yes. cannot offer that. So, you know, Randy, our infusion center is relatively new in comparison to the entire hospital. You know, we're over 100 years old. Um, so what has it been like for you to be able to offer this service, to introduce it to our community? Um, and serve in this new aspect? I guess that's question number one. Number two, how do you see it changing, um, you know, as the patients have come in and have received that service? You know, you've been here as a transition has occurred quite a bit with this hospital. Mm -hmm. So for the first one, I would say I was not an advocate for infusion services leaving when we had the service before. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So my office, as everybody knows, is on third floor on the other side of the doors most of the time. And so when we had infusion before, before it left, it was on third floor with me. So I was with them a lot. Sure, you knew. And helped them, you know, when they needed help, things like that. So when we had the ability to have infusion back, I was all on board with doing whatever I could to have it back as I knew our community needed that service. So we have partnered with the company community and fusion services, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which basically takes, I don't want to say takes the risk out of it, but they do all of the pre-authorizations. They vet all of the patients out mm-hmm. and they get with me. If the insurance isn't going to pay what the drug costs or what this costs, then my decision ultimately is to determine, is this truly like, a benefit that we need to provide or is this something and we're going to say, no, we're not going to do it mm-hmm. or we can do it, but the patient knows that they're going to end up paying for it. So right. there's many aspects to that part of it, mm-hmm. but it's a service that we need in our community mm-hmm. and patients appreciate that we're back. It's taking a little while to regain the trust, I guess mm-hmm. I would say. Mm-hmm. It has. Because, you know, we left the service and... Not sure, because some of the people that get what I called earlier the biologics, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they've been getting them for years. So they go monthly for like basically their whole life once they start getting them. So they establish relationships with wherever they're getting the services done. So for them to change, it gets a little difficult. Right. They want to know we're still going to have the service before they want to commit to to receiving that care here. And I will say, we did have, if anyone wants to go back and listen, we did have um, Jacob from Community Infusion mm-hmm. Solutions on a previous episode of the podcast, really talking about what they do as, right. as a, a company, company that yeah. focuses on, you know, helping rural communities uh, have infu- infusion care. Um, but from your perspective, Randy, would we have been able to do this again without a partner to kind of be that buffer to make sure the reimbursement issue didn't shut us down again. I say shut us down. Yeah. So we didn't have to shut to ourselves down yeah, again. I mean, we, um, because of well, the cost and, and I, think I don't want to say that drugs. we 
It was. Yeah. A lot of it was the drugs. Yeah. And I don't want to say that we couldn't, but I. it's not just the authorization and the approval right. that this company has expertise in. They also have expertise in billing, and they mm-hmm. have they know what we should be getting for reimbursement. They know what different codes that we could use right. to, if they're getting multiple services the same day, right? You know, get so they have that extra that we don't necessarily have. They just have that expertise, yes, in their bench that we don't have. And we learned a lot from them, so mm-hmm. not saying that. Yeah, I mean, there has been I think lessons learned. Yeah. you know, as we look through that, and and nothing precludes us from looking into the future and saying right. that we may want to do that. But I guess my question to you is, you you were here when we had the service, you were here when the service was interrupted, and we divested, and now you're back. During that period of not having the service until now, what types of, let's say, what types of sickness or acuities did you witness uh, as a result of not having that service in your mind? So in other words, if another hospital is listening to this, uh, whatever state they're in, whatever community, and they're like, all right, what are the downfalls of not having this type of service? What what type of patient, you know, were, were the, the, I guess, let's say the acuity of that patient were we experiencing? So I don't know that it would be as much acuity of the patient. Okay. So just off of, because the biologics are going to find somewhere to go. Yeah. The ones that are get monthly. They're going to find somewhere to go. They may right. have to drive an hour, hour and a half, but... But it's not negotiable for them. They have to receive the service. Correct. So what we're looking at, I don't want to say the most benefit, but that's going to impact the health system the mm-hmm. most mm-hmm. is those patients that would probably go to ER Yeah. over and over and over again. And over and over. And we know that ERs are backed up everywhere. There's waiting True. Your wait times in ERs are horrible no matter where you go. Yep. That's just the way it is the way now. It is. Yep. So to have somebody come in that you know all they need is a liter of fluids or all they need is a rabies vaccination mm-hmm. or all they need is some blood, especially the blood, they're going to take up four to eight hours in your ER in a room. Easily. Easily. Yeah. So for me, speaking to other facilities, I would say... If you have emergency services, that would be your best bang for your buck with the infusion is that you're drawing that population out of that department. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I think what you then see is better utilization of healthcare services because we're not waiting until the last minute to care of these patients in an ER setting where the cost is Correct. four to five times as much. So very, very good perspective on that. Mm-hmm. So, Randy... How does our infusion center compare to those at larger facilities? I know that we have a staff member who is a huge asset um, in terms of, you know, patient preference, but also, um, you know, maybe talk about that a little bit. But why else would people prefer to come to our facility rather than a larger one to receive their infusion care? So I would say number one is Tammy. So she is amazing. Amazing. And... She is definitely a person that becomes very involved with her patients. So Mm -hmm. she cares about every aspect, not just while they're here for infusion, those that come over and over or monthly. She knows a lot about them. She helps them figure out situations in their life, Mm -hmm. transportation for things. You know, it's not just about infusion. She's just a very caring person. Mm -hmm. 
And I'm not sure the wait times, but she's very good at working people in and then figuring out the process. So if somebody's mm-hmm. really sick and they need to come in and get fluids, mm-hmm. she just lets them come in and then we figure out the process after mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And most of the people that come, they the first time that they come, they're like, oh, this is your room? Because it's a smaller room. The three chairs right. are together. You're not separated largely from each other. Mm-hmm. But after they've been here a couple of times, they enjoy it. So they get to know the other people that come. Very, they right. talk Very to Very the personal. other people that come. <laughs> you know, they watch TV. Yeah. They talk right. about their lives. And for and some people, they're not, community. Yeah. they're not out a lot. So this is their time to socialize. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think that would be a positive aspect to our smaller infusion area as well. Mm-hmm. So, Randy, you know, we've talked a lot about the benefits of a program such as infusion services and the opportunity for what that could lead to in providing just some great care to your local community, keeps them local, and then the potential for a partnership maybe with uh, looking at delivering some type of drug services. But um, let's assume that there is a rural CEO or administrator that's listening to this podcast right now. And he or she are questioning, you know what, should we do that? Is that a uh, is that a viable option for our community hospital? Because you and I know, not too far from here in a town uh, in, in another state in Ohio, a friend of ours who works there uh, just announced that they're closing, they're selling, um, which will lead to some closures. Not too far from here in another Ohio town, uh, they just uh, merged with a, another hospital system. And all around us, these hospitals are trying to determine what's going to create a margin for us. How are we going to make money You know, with all the rising costs? So th- this has the potential of doing both of those things. It can either create a cost center or if it's run effectively and under the guidance of a program like we have, it could actually be a profitable program for a hospital while providing care because there are, for us at first, it was not profitable, but now it is because of all the reasons you talked about. But with that said, for the administrator listening to this right now, uh, what advice can you give them um, in in pursuing this? And if they want to start this process, how does it start? So I would say look at this multifaceted. So if you have patients you're bringing to your facility for infusion services, once they know that they're established with you, what other of your services are they going to be more likely to have done? Mm -hmm. So what if they're not one of your regular patients, but they're coming there for infusion? So they find out you're a good place. Will they start Mm -hmm. having lab work done there, which is a revenue area? Will they start having, you know, x-rays done there? Other outpatient services that you offer because they've got to know your people. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, Well, and what about like complementary service lines, like wound care and infusion, for example? Right. I mean, we have. So that you have to be very, you have to be very careful on Mm -hmm. because. You can't count on it, but it could be a nice boost. A lot of the insurance companies don't pay for same day services. Right. So you, there are codes. 
Again, right. this is where the expertise come in that you have to put in when you're doing the billing. Mm-hmm. If they're utilizing, I mean, it's a great service for right. the patients right. to be able to do both on the same day. Mm-hmm. But it's more work on our end to actually get paid for it. Gotcha. So just Mm -hmm. be aware of that. Right. Well, because JJ and I had a a guest here one time and we were giving them a tour of the hospital and we were up in uh, wound care up at the hyperbaric chambers and there was a a patient who was just leaving. And then when we went down to infusion, they were down in there. So that was on the same day. But um, even if they're not necessarily getting it on the same day. Is that something people should be looking at is what are some of the complementary service lines we have that a patient who might need an infusion is more likely to need this that we also offer? Correct. And to get started up, though, Mm -hmm. you want to be sure that your revenue cycle person is very, very knowledgeable and engaged in this. Mm -hmm. Because that's where you're going to lose a lot if... You don't pay attention constantly. Mm -hmm. So I will say the first few months. Which you had to do. Was very extensive. Yes. Monitoring. Why are we losing money this month? This was supposed to pay this month. Right. And you have to be very diligent. Like Mm -hmm. whoever you're putting in charge of it has to be sure they're engaged. Yeah. That it's not. You can't even slack off for a month, honestly, when you're first starting any of the lines up, whether it's just Mm -hmm. infusion or anything else. But you have to be very mindful of that. If you're doing that, you are able to act on what you're finding quicker Mm -hmm. where it's not nobody's paying attention for six months and we've lost $50,000, $60,000. You know, now what are we going to do? If you're staying on top of it every month, You don't get to that point, and you can make adjustments in what you're doing. Right. And then have the right staff in those in the position mm-hmm. to create the bond with the patients. And the mm-hmm. It's important, you know, when you talk about the bond with the patient. I think what I have witnessed is the camaraderie among not only the patients, but also the bond between your provider uh, in this particular case, a registered nurse and the patient. And um, we know that when you go through cancer, uh, it is so traumatic and it is an experience. And the people that you meet along the way can help you on the journey. And having someone, and we've seen both sides of this, right? We've had someone who's caring, kind, and loving. Then we've had the other side of it where right. you get that one provider and you're like, ugh, or that caregiver yep. where you're like, man, I hope I don't get them back again. Right. But having someone that relates to our patients, I think, is a hallmark of our program, at least I think so, and can build that relationship with them. So I believe you would say for all those reasons, uh, this could be a very profitable, uh, very community-driven, uh, patient-centered program that communities should pursue. Yes. Excellent. Well, Randy, we could talk for hours with you, and I know you're not going to allow that because you're busy. Um, and it's He's always, got iconic, legendary he things does. to do. He does. He has to go My wave. goats. Yes, there is that too. <laughs> My babies need um, fed. He has to go over and sign some autographs and some other things. So <laughs> That was... Was that yesterday? Tuesday, Tuesday yeah, on July the 4th, 4th of July. Yeah, I did see it at the parade. Good job. You were signing some signatures there of With something. With my flag shoes, my yep. flag shorts. He did look very festive. Let's just say that. Very so, Randy, uh, as I said, we could talk for hours, but we're not going to. But I do want to thank you for the uh, the care that you provide our community and our patients uh, and the leadership that you provide our staff. 
Uh, it's uh, truly not something that I take lightly, but that I'm very appreciative of. And I would encourage those listening today that if you want to pursue a program like this, uh, to truly make sure that you have assembled a leadership team that can carry this out. You know, they have the vision, the drive, and it's a lot of push, as Randy knows. It's not just, uh, hey, we're going to do it. It's a lot of coordinated meetings, tremendous amount of work involved in launching a program of this magnitude. So with that, Randy, it is great to have you on the program. Hope to have you again uh, here in the near future. Thank you. And before we close, we like to do a fun segment with each of our guests. Randy, we know your rule. I, I'm afraid even to ask Rachel. We don't always do this with our return guests, but I we know Randy's got plenty he's got of stories. I have those stories. stories. You yes, did you like do. my story you last lie. time. I know. We did We did cut out a few of them. But I, I do want to, you know, preface this with the fact that you are a, a country guy and that you've, you know, lived in the country a lot. And so uh, you certainly know rule. Uh, in fact, I don't even think you have cell service at your house right now, do you? Or you have internet? No. You don't? No. It's just amazing. They were just out last night. Were they really? To put it in or? No. The tower that our bounces off of, something's wrong with that. Yeah. And that's how now there is no service. Like there is no service. Well, you could not at one point finish any type. You were doing your master, your bachelor degree program, and you could not walk on because you didn't have internet services. How do you think it's going with my master's program right now? Probably not very well <laughs> because you still have no connectivity. So if there's ever a definition of rule. Yep. We're looking at them. We're looking at them right here. So Randy, our listeners want to know what is your most rule experience or one of the most memorable things about rule living? And you can relate it to patient care or not, um, even your own personal life. But what makes rule so unique for you? I'm ordained now. Did I tell you that? You did tell me that, but that's oh, yeah. I can perform weddings. You can do that, but it would be more rule if you said I perform them in a barn or if I, I did. perform them. Okay, I've performed my first wedding at the fairgrounds. Yeah, did you really? I did. Yeah, that's that awesome. So, so that's rural. How many so, people some get fist married fries at the fairgrounds? And some How many candy? of your goats have gotten married so far? Three. Have you performed <laughs> the ceremonies? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Well, I think we can close it up right there then. But <laughs> has there been anything memorable, Randy, beyond Yeah, we the need chaplaincy? a classic Randy story. Yeah. Not too classic. Right. But, you know, <laughs> something that just is like so unique to her. Like when your friends and family visit from Texas and other places, like how do they know it's rural? I honestly, they're just used to it now. I don't know that. I mean, dirt roads, rural, like you said, that. No internet. People have a hard time believing that in yeah. this day and age no, that there do. is no internet. But I'm telling right. you, there right. is no internet. Yeah. So grandkids are not happy. Yeah. Because they have to go outside and play. Yeah. Or board games. So terrible. That does can't get on the internet. But but Randy, there was an experience recently in which uh, you were pinned down by an animal I that, that caused a health issue for you. So I think Wait, since what? this is Rural Health Rising, I, haven't heard this story. I think Randy needs to share with us how rural he actually lives. Randy, please okay. give us so, the PG version. Did you get attacked by a bear or something? No, it was a no. goat. So it last goat. fall, True. it was time for my mama goat to have a boyfriend. I'll put it nicely. So our neighbor <laughs> had a billy goat. So I okay. called him. I was like, hey, can I come get your billy goat and just bring him down to my house? I'll bring him back when he's done. Mm-hmm. He's like, sure. We're not going to be home tonight, but just come down and get him, whatever. Just bring him back. 
Now, this goat has gotten out of that pen at their house multiple times and been at my house. Oh, okay. Over the course of a couple so you, of years. Yeah, I mean, you've been introduced to this goat on so numerous occasions. I've seen this goat. I've yeah. knocked it in the head a few times. I think that's where <laughs> this stemmed from. Okay. So I go down and there. And that is just for those listening, for those folks that, you know, he's not committing animal cruelty. Actually, that's how you have to deal with some of these goats. With the right? billy goat with horns. Yes. yes. Okay. So I go down with my leash in my truck. I should have just walked. It's only like a quarter of a mile to the neighbor's house. So I get the goat out of the pen with the horse. It's with the horses. Get it out of the pen on the leash as we're traveling through the bush. That's what I call it. The goat's butting me in the back of the leg all the way back oh to the truck. Gosh. Well, I'm not thinking anything about it because he's a jerk anyway. Well, we <laughs> get to the truck. I open the door. I have feet in there. I figure he's just going to jump in, right? No, he decides he doesn't want in my truck and starts attacking me. Literally. Oh my gosh. Literally attacking me. So he eventually has me pinned down with my knee between his horns. Yes. And Randy's screaming I at am, this time. And there's so many hope. They're not there. Oh, my god! I lose my shoe because I'm kicking this goat. I'm down on the ground, literally, oh almost my under my truck at this time. I finally screaming, by the, way, did I the say goat that? enough to get into the driver's seat of my truck. He butts my truck when I get in and takes off back to the pen. Oh, my god! So I get home, and, of course, my wife isn't happy because she's like, you're too old to be down there messing with the goat to begin with. I told you you were going to get hurt. <laughs> and where's your shoe? Well, I don't even know. So <laughs> Still hasn't found I it. couldn't hardly walk. Oh my gosh. No, this so So I get a text, mind you, the <laughs> next day saying I may not be into work. And I'm like, No, oh. it said I'm in the ER. Oh, that's right. I made it to work, but I'm in ER. And I'm like And I didn't know if he's being serious. So I'm like, what? You're in the ER. what is it? he's like, I got attacked by a goat. And I'm like, seriously, Randy, what is it? He's <laughs> right. like, I got pinned down by a goat and I was injured by this goat and the goat kicked me. I'm like, All right, Randy, seriously, what's going on? Did you have a heart attack? <laughs> Did you have a stroke? He's like, It was a damn goat. <laughs> And I'm like, well, at that point, I said to my wife, I'm like, well, Randy's text me. He usually wouldn't text me like if it's, uh, he said, it's like, she goes, oh yeah. She says, I've been reading about his goats. He's been posting them online. So it's a true story. So, well, and and, and in your up. defense, JJ, that absolutely sounds like a joke or like a, a uh, you hello. Know, gag that Yes, Randy it could be, be a gag that Randy pulls. It tore my ACL. Did it really? Yes. So I then know this. I go to ortho. I get referred to ortho. Which I'm not going to have anything done unless I can't walk. I'm not going to surgery. Yeah. So he orders me a brace. I wear the brace for about three months, and it starts healing up. But again, this is another, the insurance company, our health insurance. So I thought, you know, they denied paying for my MRI. Yeah. I fill out the thing, send it in. They still denied it. I called them and they said, why aren't you paying for this? Well, you were getting the goat in your truck. It should be auto insurance. And I'm like, what? Okay. Yep. Now, and they were like, well, what do you mean? Actually, we didn't believe you when you sent the thing in. Honestly, getting a goat in your truck. And I said, it was a billy goat. And I wanted to get it in my backseat of my truck to take to my nanny goat. And they just, I don't, I don't know. They don't comprehend that they don't comprehend. thought yeah. process. No. Oh, my God! No, I think the last time I was on, I talked about bringing the cabs home in the backseat of my truck. No, there was actually, you were running across the road to catch something. The pigs, pigs. that got loose? That was what it yeah. was. It was the pigs that got loose. So, Randy, it's always <laughs> an adventure, typically about farm life, but certainly makes it entertaining here at Hillstill Hospital it and sure for does. our listeners on Rural Health Rising. So, Randy, thanks again for joining us today. 
Thank you. Next time on Rural Health Rising, we'll have another great conversation with another great guest. So be sure to tune in. And with that, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell others why they should listen too. Your feedback helps more listeners find Rural Health Rising. And you can now find us on Twitter. I'm at Hillsdale CEO JJ. Rachel is at Rural Health Rach. And you can also follow the podcast at Rural Health Pod. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay strong. Rural Health Rising is a production of Hillsdale Hospital in Hillsdale, Michigan, and a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. Hosted by JJ Hodshire and Rachel Lott. Audio engineering and original music by Kenji Ulmer. For more episodes, interviews, and more information, visit ruralhealthrising.com. 